Hello and welcome to episode 189 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined again by Brian Topp and Paul Noonan. Uh, how are you guys doing this week? I'm doing pretty good. The Brewers winning has been nice. Yeah. <laughs> Can't complain there. Also pretty good. Um, yeah. Didn't have to travel this week for the first time in a while, so just sitting and relaxing. Nice, nice. No poop emergencies, I hope, either. No, it's been a really clean week. It's been good uh, all around. <laughs> we, we, we just jinxed it, probably. but you probably uh, did. Fingers crossed it, it stays that way. All right. <laughs> um, obviously, uh, a big trade uh, kind of took us by surprise this week. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, a reminder, you can help support our podcast by becoming a patron. That's at patreon.com slash tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you question priority here on the podcast. And for five bucks a month, you get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson. You also get some reporting as eligible Packer mini pods from Paul through the Packers offseason as well. All right. So mentioned it, but obviously uh, Brewers have a new shortstop now. I know we talked about how <laughs> Luis Urias has been struggling for the last couple of weeks here, but I don't know if anybody expected the Brewers to do anything about it this soon. Um so kind of a surprise move this week. They swung the deal with Tampa Bay. They got shortstop Willie Adamas. Uh, gave up Drew Rasmussen and J.P. Fireisen, friend of the podcast, in return. Fireisen. Yeah. I'll <laughs> uh, see you, JR. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, yeah, kind of a, a surprising deal. Caught a lot of us by surprise. But apparently uh, this is something the Brewers have been working on since, like, the winter, David Stern said. They, they were really interested in Willie Adamas. Uh, so they finally were able to put that deal together in the last week, but, uh, obviously kind of leads to some questions right away about kind of where the Brewers future lies at shortstop, whether Luis Arias kind of fits in those plans. I mean, William Adamas is under team control for quite a few more years here. So, uh, I, I guess let's just start initial reactions, uh, Paul, did you see the Brewers kind of giving up on Urias after like 60-ish games? Or, no, or what, what's your take here? One thing I'm never, ever saying again is, well, they'll give this guy time to figure this out. Or, you know, they're going to take their time letting this the situation play. They don't do that. They react very quickly to things. And this is not the first time this has happened. Uh, so I'm surprised because I wasn't expecting any trades this early. Um, and I thought they'd give Urias more time. But here we are. So, um it's a uh, it's a fine move, I, and I think I think the conclusion that they probably reached with them is like they can give the bat more time, but he really wasn't working out at short, and he was a stretch at short. He was not necessarily a shortstop prospect in the first place. And once you see a guy play out there and struggle, you usually don't improve at the big league league level defensively up a position. It just doesn't really happen that often. So I I don't think his time with the team is over. I don't think his use his usefulness is over. But I think they they basically decided we got no shortstops, like not in the system, at least not anytime soon. Um, this is like we, we got to do something about this because it was becoming a big liability. So th- that's that's kind of my initial reaction. And I think it's more about Urias's defensive problems than it is his offensive struggles. Those those, those are no good either. So my first sort of thought when I was turning this over and trying to figure out why the Rays did this, because I understand completely why the Brewers did it. And we'll, <laughs> it's a good question. We'll too. get back to that in a minute. I, of course, assumed that that meant that number one prospect in baseball, Wander Franco, was going to be coming up. And that is not the case. They actually have another top 100 uh, shortstop type that is coming up instead. And Mm -hmm. you have to think Wander is not far behind. I mean, middle of June sometime would mean would be the safe time for uh, for Super 2 status. 
the, mm-hmm. that's all probably going to get thrown into a giant blunder by next year's CBA anyway. But until I found that out, my thought was maybe this was more driven by the Rays just looking to cash in on Adamus, and it wasn't really driven by the Brewers' needs so much. And that got thrown out the window by the by the the t- finding out that it wasn't actually Wander Franco coming up. But I, I do think that there's some thought here that the Rays definitely knew that uh, Willie Adamas was not going to be their shortstop of the future. And really, his value is minimal anywhere else on the diamond. Mm. And considering they have the number one prospect in baseball, who is a very capable shortstop, by the way, in Wander Franco and another top 100 prospect who's also a shortstop they definitely don't need him and they were going to probably move on from him at some point and you could always figure uh, Adamus is going to be heading into arbitration next year so he's going to start to get a little bit more expensive so and not by leaps and bounds he's probably what at this point maybe a two million a year type guy so not not super expensive but the way the rays are that often is the time when they choose to flip a guy like him for something else so I think that the getting back to the Brewers side of this, I don't think that they are in any way, shape, or form giving up on on Urias. I don't think that's what this is. When people say, well, they, they only gave him 60 games before giving up on him. Well, he's not going anywhere. We already saw over the weekend that he got into these games, even when he wasn't starting. He was getting into these games. And I think that we can expect that that will continue to happen quite frequently throughout the rest of the year is that we will see him even when he doesn't start a game getting into it. I do think this means that he plays more at third base. I think we may even see it evolve more from a platoon situation into more of a 50, 50 time split with Urias getting more looks against right-handed starters. I think we could see some of that given that Shaw has cooled off considerably from where he started the season. I think that that, that makes perfect sense, but they're just going to keep rotating guys through the way Craig Council always does. And I think that the the number one thing here, and we can talk a little bit more about it, but Adamus reputation coming up was as what I said on Twitter is a no shit defensive shortstop. Like he is, <laughs> he's that guy. And that's where he started his major league career over the past couple seasons, this year and last year, uh, that has been less of the case, at least in terms of the, the sort of rudimentary metrics that we have, which is why it's important to point out that to get really good defensive numbers, you need a larger sample than what yep. we've seen over either 2020 or 2021 to this point. But he has been somewhat error prone this year, and I, I believe he was like fourth or fifth in the American League in errors. That's not necessarily the biggest deal. Errors we've talked about so many times are overrated. They're not the be-all, end-all of defense. Much more important is what balls you get to than, you know, making a few more mistakes or a few less mistakes. But it is understandable that that would cause the defensive metrics to slip some. So I think they, they took advantage of the fact that the Rays were needing to move on. They clearly had this targeted, and it just came together at this time for, you know, any number of reasons, but the other thing here that you do have to worry about, I, I guess I'll throw it back to you guys. How worried are you that we just traded with the race? <laughs> I mean, that's always a concern, right? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. And I, that was part of my initial reluctance too. And, you know, I you know, really like Drew Rasmussen still, 
you know, and, and maybe they turn him into a, an actual starter or what have you. And I think that's the potential where this deal maybe starts to go sideways for the Brewers. But yep. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not terribly worried about dealing with the Rays, but you know, that's always in the back of your mind. But I think I, it's, I, yeah. You got to think about this as the the adage of if you can't pick the sucker out at the table, then you're the sucker. But I don't <laughs> I don't think the Brewers are. I think that you know it's not everybody knows this, and they run a pretty sophisticated organization too. Uh, it's it's not like they couldn't be outsmarted by the race. It's not like they haven't lost trades. They obviously have, but um, they are pretty good at this. They're not going to get snookered like a lot of the dumber organizations in the league might. Like in football, this happens a lot. There's a lot of asymmetry in information there. Uh, baseball, not as much. And the Brewers are one of the better, smarter organizations. So it's risky to trade with the Rays because they don't just give up talent willy-nilly. They're on a tight budget. They're very good at this. Um, so it, it's harder to win those trades than it's going to be with a lot of other teams. But uh, everybody here is, is smart. I think all cards are on the table and you know what you're getting and giving away. Well, and remember, Matt Arnold would have been involved when the right. Rays traded for Willie Adamas in the first place when yep. he was the surprise centerpiece to the David Price deal back in what was that 2013? Something like that. It'd be yeah. somewhere around yeah. that time period when they, they traded for him and he's been a good prospect always. And it was always highlighted by, you know, outstanding defense. The hitting is actually a little bit better than I realized. I went and I looked it up mm -hmm. on Friday and was somewhat pleasantly surprised to see obviously <laughs> this year his offense has been down but he's been a yeah. better offensive player i think than than maybe had been expected and there could right. be a little bit more still in there too right it's 20 a very, home run power right it's but, a brewer profile yeah. like it it, it really yeah. is like medium medium batting average kind of low on base percentage sometimes okay power uh, that's it's it's very on brand mm-hmm and he seems to be a fit with the team, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. They've immediately <laughs> sort of taken to him, including Brewer yeah. alumni have taken to him. Right, right. Um, and he's got some old friends that are on the team now, too. So he's he's fitting in well. But I think when we talk about, you know, his, his offense, too, his overall line, yeah, it doesn't look anything spectacular. But I saw this pointed out on Twitter earlier this week. He's oh, got yeah. some crazy home road splits. Home road splits like, on Willier nuts. That is very true. Like, and I guess it's something that is like seemingly legit. Like he could not hit at the trot for whatever reason. Um, and it's something that like I guess race <laughs> fans knew about. Like he started wearing glasses and shit just it's to a like big thing. He said yeah. he couldn't see at the batter's eye there. Like yeah, uh, and that huh. seems insane, but. It's a legit thing. I, at first, Look at his road split. I buy it, though. It was like, first pointed crazy. out to me on uh, on like a Reddit, and then I found a bunch of legit media quotes where that is a, something he's actually complained about. So, yes, that's... His, his career at the Trop at home, 217, 275, 341 in yep. 622 plate appearances. That's a 616 OPS. He has an 864 OPS on the road. He does. Like, that's two different, completely different kind of players. Like, that's an equal sample size. Obviously, home and road, that's what that ha happens. So it is really completely different players. It is, uh, it's nuts. So may maybe that's what you get out of him. I mean, if they're getting a, if they're getting an 800 plus OPS out of him, this is a, well, yeah, one a, way like a slam deal. dunk trade, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, it becomes a slam dunk. Good defense with 800 hands. OPS from yeah. shortstop. They'll take it. Yeah. So are you guys concerned about the defense, though? Because it does seem to be not as good as it was, at least. 
Yeah, the metrics are all over the map with him too. Like they're they're all consensus that he was very very good in I think 2019, and then um, after that it, it's like it really depends on what you're looking at, and I don't know how to parse what all of the different metrics are are caring about more than others, but I don't like when they disagree because they all tend to have a point. So a little worried about it, but it's been a it's been weird. So um, I'm I'm not too panicky about it he's not at an age where he should be slowing down or losing agility or anything like that it this is one where i think a change of scenery might help like if he does hate the batting eye there maybe maybe he's taking that out, out to the defensive side with him too maybe it just bothered i mean who knows uh, i'm not unworried about it but I've, uh, defense i don't i feel like doesn't really slump as much as offense and i'm i'll bet a change of scenery here and like some a shot and shot in the arm from a new situation does wonders for his defense one you think about it too how much was he playing on artificial turf granted it's better than the old that's a good point too that stadium is is something well and there's some other turf stadiums in the al in a way that yeah. we don't really have in the in the national toronto League. is a division of toronto, yeah yeah, yeah. well when they actually play in toronto yes but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but are there any turf teams in the nl i can't think of any offhand actually I think everybody's got natural grass over here. Uh, yeah, I can't think of any either. I know Texas's new stadium has turf, but other than that, I can't think of anything. Is but, are the Marlins natural grass? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't think there's anybody then. So there's that, and there's also just. I mean, think about this as a baseline to you know we were talking last week about the offense and replacing like terrible bats with just like not terrible bats. So. The level of defense the Brewers were getting from shortstop, whether it was Orlando Arcia or Luis Arias, pretty bad, right? So, like, even if Willie Adamas is not the, what was it, eight defensive run save shortstop he was a couple of years ago, I feel like he's still the best shortstop they've had in a long time, right? Uh, defensively, yeah. I thought you were going yeah, back to the offensive side because people, I think, are going to be, you know, a little surprised to find out Willie Adamas has not been as good a hitter as Luis Arias this year. And it's actually not particularly close i mean it's not yep, like super right. far apart but uh Urias coming into today 94 wrc plus and it's not great but still better than vogelbach <laughs> yes but i mean the point True. is is that i think this is much more about the defense than it is about it is, the offense yeah. and them worrying is. about Urias's uh Urias's offense i think they think yeah. that's going to come through the question is where is it going to play and it's difficult because you have a true stud defender at second base Yep. And this will give them flexibility to give him some more time off. I think that as especially mm -hmm. we get deeper and deeper into the season, it's going to be useful to give everybody breaks and to give them some rest. So that that I think will be helpful. Right. If he does come come around on defense, it also gives them like the best double play combination in the league. Um, <laughs> that's phenomenal defense up the middle with Wong to get with Wong and him together. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. And especially when, you know, the Brewers are still maybe leaning into this whole pitching and defense thing. <laughs> you know, if Adamas can get to Certainly not leaning offense. into offense. Right, right, absolutely. Um, so I wanted to talk about another thing with this trade, too, is like, I guess, naturally, I can't blame people for kind of tying this trade with the Orlando Arcia trade. And somehow, uh, the idea that this trade means that the Arcia trade failed at, or some 
stupid line of thinking. I can't wrap my head around <laughs> it, but I've seen it. I've seen it out there. So I guess, and I know, you know, we, we were kind of talking and dealing with each other through the week about this deal and kind of uh, disagreeing with some of those takes. So I guess, Paul, could, do you want to explain why this does not necessarily make the Arcia trade automatically bad? Yeah, uh, absolutely. For one thing, Orlando Arcia is bad. So let's start with that. Um, like, like I know everybody's concerned that Urias has been bad, and he has been bad, and defensively and offensively. But Orlando Arcia is also bad offensively and defensively. And if you think he's going to just turn it on for a year, it's not impossible. It happens once in a while, but probably not. And his defense has been going downhill consistently for years. He makes flashy plays. He looks better, especially looks better than Urias. But he is his metrics do not grade out well and haven't for some time. And as I always like to point out, he rakes when it doesn't matter. And that is a thing that is real. If you go look at his splits, when they're up or down by four runs, he hits. And when they're not, he's terrible. So um, it, he's not the future. Um, Urias might have been the future. Arcia was not the future. He just wasn't going to work out. We have tons of sample size on him. Yeah, he's still young, but he's he's bad. So no, no, nobody mourn over that. It's nice that they got something for him, even if it's not much. This is much better. This this is a <laughs> solid defensive base with some offensive upside, and um, they're now in a much better position shortstop-wise than they were at any other point this season. Well, I mean, the question comes down to who would you rather have? Yeah, exactly. Like, would you rather have Orlando Arcia and Drew Rasmussen and... And JP. And JP Fireisen. <laughs> or would you rather have uh, Willie Adamas... Chad Sabatka and Patrick Weigel. So far, we don't know that much about Sabatka and Weigel, mm -hmm. but that is an it's still a very open question. And I think that in a a time we will we will come to see that uh JP was almost certainly pitching over his head, whether or not he's still a useful uh middle reliever, we still have to sort of see if that if that turns out to be the case. But this is where you do get a little concerned, is if the Rays wanted him, uh, that that does <laughs> yeah, that does I mean, raise some alarm a, bells, right? Uh, right. On the other hand, uh, you should really never mourn about relief pitchers leaving yes. too much. Right? They're the most replaceable. Uh, the Brewers, the Brewers trade for relief pitchers too much. I, I know they use the heck out of them. Um, but it's the one thing that bothers me about them because they're also good at generating them from the farm system, just willy nilly seemingly. Um, but I don't mourn when, whenever any of them leave, um, they're very replaceable. Neither of like, they're good pitchers. Well, maybe Drew Rasmussen is, maybe he's not. We'll see, but they have decent stuff, but this is not like, you know, for future closers, um, star guys, they're fine. They're, they're totally fine. Maybe the Rays will turn them into Cy Young winners. Probably not, but, um, you got a, a good solid offensive slash defensive player, especially defensive player, which you didn't have, and you could just make new pitching. So that's uh, this is fine, right? And Ryan, you kind of asked this question, but our first Patreon question does come from uh, Jay Google, it's literally asking, "Are the Brewers better off with Arcia, JP, and Drew <laughs> Rasmussen, or the two Braves pitchers, Chad Saboka and Patrick Weigel, Willie Adamas, and Trevor Richards?" Which I think it's important to remember. The Brewers also got a pitcher back in this trade Travis too. Um, oh, so yeah. you know, yeah, so he could be a fifth starter or mill relief option. So I guess when you look at that, like overall, wouldn't you rather have Willie Adamas, the Braves pitchers, and Trevor Richards, Paul? 
I mean, I, I would knowing yeah. how you feel about Arcia. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the the system has been very good at kicking out pitching. They have a good pitching lab. It thought we we wrote about it all off. We got a question last week about can you make a hitting lab, mm-hmm. and and answered it is what's well, much harder to fix hitting than it is pitching. And um, to the extent that a, there's a scarce resource, it is offensive players. Um, and especially for the Brewers, like you've seen how they've been for a year and a half now. Right. So um, this is, I think, very smart. You're dealing from a position of strength. It's not like they have infinite pitchers. I shouldn't talk about it quite so cavalierly, but this is a position of strength to a position of weakness. And they improved on the position of weakness and um, they're still perfectly strong in the bullpen and starting pitching. So th- that's exactly what you should do to fix your weaknesses. This is a good move. If you treat this as one transaction and... Uh, then apply the old fantasy sports model to it, which is you always want to get the best player in the trade. Yeah, the best player yeah. of all of these players is Willie Adamas, and I don't think it's all that close. Agreed. Right. So I think that they did great. Yeah, as my dad used to say, don't don't trade a curly for two Larrys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. <laughs> That's great. That'll be the episode title. But uh, yeah, that's I definitely mean, the episode title. Obviously, obviously, so Willie Adamas, I would agree Willie Adamas is the best player in the trade, but also you could maybe argue that, you know, depending on how you see maybe Patrick Weigel developing, they also got the best pitcher in those two trades too, right? Like they might have. And Trevor Richards is a guy that people really liked uh two off seasons ago uh for dynasty purposes. <laughs> he was getting a lot of a lot of sort of uh talking up at that point. So Sure. And, and, you know, you, you asked the question before, like, are you concerned about the Rays wanting these guys? But I think we're maybe inching toward the level of, you know, should teams be concerned if the Brewers pick out a seemingly random pitcher <laughs> that they found something they like, like maybe Trevor Richards is one of those guys too. Exact. Right. Like, yeah. And the Braves aren't, the Braves definitely aren't the Rays or the Brewers in terms of right. how they run their team. They're they're not backwards. I'm not going to call them like, I don't know, Detroit or Colorado. Oh, God, nobody's Colorado. <laughs> but they're also not quite the same cutting edge team. I think when, when the Brewers and Rays get together and do a deal, they're probably all kind of talking in the same terms and they're all sort of understanding what the other side is seeing in value terms when you're dealing with the braves that could be a little bit of a wild card they're not idiots but they're not quite as strong as the brewers or or rays right absolutely um so jay had another part or a second question kind of dealing with this trade and it's something that maybe we we touched on a little bit earlier but uh his second question is Luis Urias back starting at third base at some point over Travis Shaw, or is it just a super utility role for him going forward? Uh, Paul, what are your thoughts on that? Could you see him starting at third a little bit? Yeah, I I could. I think the answer is both. Um, I I think he will do a lot of platooning with Shaw over there. I mean, honestly, Urias has had the better bat. He, I don't know for sure that if he's a better defensive third baseman, Shaw is actually pretty good over there. And Urias, um, you know, while he could play short, um, I think he's probably better at second and third. I don't stretch doesn't really stretch him um, too much. I think he mostly had trouble going the the other direction, so that's fine. But uh, I think he'll play kind of everywhere when they need a replacement, and I do think he'll be in a somewhat of a platoon with Shaw over there. Um, no reason not to. It's not, it's not might as well, if you could take Shaw out some some time. That's a good thing because he's not hitting at all. So. 
Um, so I, I think that's really it. Um, both he'll, he will be utility guy. He will go where he's needed and, um, he's needed over a third. So he'll be over there quite a bit. Yep. That's where I would go with that as well. Right. And I kind of mentioned this before we started to Ryan too, but I mean, Colton Wong is only on a two-year contract with a third-year option. So, I mean, if you're thinking super long-term, if the Brewers still really like Luis Urias, maybe he ends up at second base a few years from now, right? Um, Colton Wong's obviously going to be here a couple of years, but his third-year option is $10 million uh, in 2023. So, and he'll be, that's first age 32 season. So, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that maybe the Brewers decline that. I mean, obviously, they'd still take him if he's still great. But, you know, Luis Arias also has team control for a few more years here. So I I don't think he's going anywhere. And, you know, as long as he keeps walking <laughs> and he develops that hit tool, <laughs> do you that. know, I mean, he'll be he'll be a pretty valuable backup. And, you know, as we've seen, like Craig Council can make your number one backup basically a starter position too just based on off days and and like ryan said earlier like we saw him plenty this weekend anyway so uh, he's still definitely in the plans i think indeed all right we have uh, a few more patreon questions kind of related to this deal and some of the other things around it so we have pj wessels he says april trade or shortstop get two pitchers may trade two pitchers get a shortstop and a pitcher what will the june or july trade combo be uh ryan what what are your thoughts what's next minor league something for <laughs> relief pitcher yeah that, that's where yeah they always go and add relief pitching they have not been in contention in a year when they haven't ad- done something with the relief pitching. Now, I yep. guess in 2020, they didn't add relief pitching. They subtracted, but actually it worked out as addition by subtraction because David Phelps was bad, bad, bad. Yep. <laughs> so there. that's what they're going to do. They're going to add a relief pitcher or two, and it'll probably be on the cheap. It's not going to be the kind of guy where everybody's going to go, oh, yeah, this is this is fantastic. We're not going out and trading for probably. I don't want to ever say never, but probably not going to go out and trade for a, an elite shutdown back end of the bullpen guy because they already have those. They don't really need that. They just need a little bit more depth and they got rid of some depth in this deal. Yep. And I do wonder, I brought this up on Twitter today. The uh, Nashville uh, sounds are currently in the midst of uh, their bullpen, not having given, given up a run in 16 innings. And huh. I don't know that that necessarily means anything, but it might <laughs> It might indicate that they think they have some relief pitching depth down in in AAA right now that they think is going to be useful to them as the summer wears on. So I don't necessarily think it like positively means that, but I think that maybe they think they have some guys there that we're not even necessarily thinking of right now that they think could give them something as the season wears on. Yep. I, I, I agree with that because they always add an arm. I do wonder if they add a bat this time. It, it, the, the only reason being, it would be so easy to get a huge improvement, even with an average player at a couple of positions. Like it, if they were able to trade for just an average first or third baseman, that would be an, an, an enormous upgrade instantly. It's one of those things where you just have that opportunity that they're normally more balanced than this, and there's just some trash out there. So um, I, I do think that they might go for another bat. Uh, they're clearly in always talking mode. Um, you know, this was a surprise that came out of nowhere. 
And they, I think the way they work is just, okay, here's the weaknesses and here's our strengths we can trade from. And if anybody pops up, we'll go get them. So I will, I will actually wager some that they do improve um, the offense one more time before it's all said and done. We shall see for sure. All right. Our next Patreon question comes from Brew Crew Fan in California. He's asking, how do you see the second tier usage of the pen changing without JP Fireyes and Andrew Rasmussen? So obviously, you know, JP was actually playing a fairly significant role. Rasmussen kind of had a rough start. But Ryan, how do you see those middle innings shaking out now? I think it's going to look a lot like it did on Saturday afternoon with Brent Suter getting in there in the middle innings, which we were seeing some of that before, honestly, too. But I think we'll see more of Brent Suter in the in the sixth and seventh innings. And then Brad Boxberger as well, who I think finished out the inning for he finished out the the fifth inning today for Freddie Peralta in a fairly tight situation. They were only up three at that point and they had a couple runners on. So uh, he came in and, and got them out of that. So I think we're going to see Boxberger and Suter utilized there now. Uh, I also think that we probably this could also be an indication that they're less worried about having a super deep middle relief because they're getting longer starts from Corbin Burns and, and Brandon Woodruff now. Yep. And that's giving them days off in their their middle relievers. It's giving them time to rest and to not have to be leaned on as heavily. So I think that might have been part of the calculus, too, is just they don't have as much of a need for the middle relief as they used to. All true. They also, um, they not necessarily a ton of greatness out there, but they do have quite a few pitchers also on the, I think, the 60-day IL. Mm-hmm. And we're not close to halfway through the season yet, but they might get like Justin Topa back in the second half. They might get a few other guys back. So um, aside from the minors and other spot, like they may get a little healthier too, you know, a couple months down the road, but still something to consider when, you know, because they're looking at the future um, and they're projecting who will come back and they have that to deal from as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, that they've already had a few people, uh, you know, in middle relief this year that are currently in Nashville, you know, Patrick Weigel, one of them, uh, you know, you, you could see a few of those people coming back up as well. Um, you know, you still got Aaron Ashby down in Nashville, too. Maybe he comes up at, and and makes an impact about him. Uh, yep, absolutely. So uh, there, there's that, too. And if there's anything I'm not terribly worried about, it's how Craig Council manages the, manages the, the middle relief innings. Right. Yeah. So they'll find a way to do it. They could get creative. They could trade for somebody like you guys said. So, um I, I'm not too worried about trading away Fire Rise and Rasmussen as much as I do like Drew. Uh, but he he was kind of struggling when they threw him in there this year anyway. So uh yeah. They'll 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 figure that out. Um our next Patreon question comes from Adam Post. He's saying, not that we should give up on Urias or anything, but how many seasons in a Brewers uniform do you think it'll take him to match the amount of war that Trent Grisham has already put up for the Padres? which is uh, pretty significant already. I pulled it up. Uh, last year alone, Trent Grisham had 2.3 war on fan graphs in 59 games. He's already up to 1.8 this year. So we're, we're, we're already talking over four war in like maybe 100 
plus games. Um, so that's pretty significant. And Luis Arias has a lot of catching up to do. But Ryan, do you think he can get there? How many seasons does it take for him to get that to that point? It's going to be a lot harder if he's not playing a capable shortstop. Because if you're mm-hmm. looking at the other positions he's going to play for the Brewers, second base for at least the the time being is occupied by Colton Wong uh, for the foreseeable future here. And then third base, his bat doesn't really profile there. I think it, he's good mm-hmm. enough to play it, but it's not like it's you, a third base profile that you like offensively where you, you get excited is a guy who's going to be hitting 30 bombs. And I don't think anybody thinks that's coming for Urias, though, you know. Maybe if they bring back the rabbit ball, maybe that's something that happens down the line. We've seen dumber, weirder things happen with guys in terms of adding power. So it could happen. And again, Urias is 23. He doesn't turn 24 until actually uh, next week. So still a fairly young guy. Still a lot of developing to do in terms of where he's ultimately going to end up. But yeah, I it, it, it's... It doesn't look like a great trade. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's going to be a tough one. Uh, the other thing about Urias is, well, well, he may get a little bit more pop. He, he's a very small person. He's and five nine. He's never profiled I'm, for huge yeah. power. So playing it, you know, it's one thing to use the hit tool to play up at short and maybe even second. But if you're not hitting bombs, it's going to be hard to accumulate war anywhere else on the field. So um, I, I don't. I'm not sure it's going to catch Trenton. It's not looking great. No, as we discussed last week, Paul just hates anyone who doesn't hit for power. So there you go. <laughs> kind of, yes. <laughs> it's not that you can't be good. It's just the odds are very stacked against you. Right, right. Uh, especially when you're a butcher at shortstop. So yeah. yeah, not not looking good there. All right, our next question comes from Ultimate Vehicle Fight Club. Uh, and I guess the first rule of Ultimate Vehicle Fight Club is you don't talk about Ultimate Vehicle Fight Club, but here we are. Uh, their question is, what's the greater cause of the Brewers' problem so far? A failed attempt at a Moneyball team or the league-wide pitching clearly being at another level? Paul, what are your thoughts on that? One? Oh, I get all kinds of stuff on this question. So um, <laughs> Go for it. it. It's, not a fa- uh, I mean, it's not a failed attempt at a Moneyball team because, first of all, they're still pretty good. Like They're, they're 500. Their sure. pitching is really, really good. They've put together a great pitching staff using their strategy they're great managing and uh to the extent i think they have a problem philosophically it is that they really do treasure versatility among offensive players because they like to be able to move people around to accommodate the way that they use pitching and i think that has a negative impact both on the types of players they go after because they want people to play multiple positions and that's usually middle infielder types who can move around competently um and they've also um like that that roster building strategy just hampers your ability to have like a big masher um, at first base. I'm still sh- I'm still shocked Vogelbach's on the team. By the way, every day that goes by, um, he can't play anywhere. But um, when they were at their best recently, like I, I went to a game that Jesus Aguiar started at third base, which is creatively getting big hitting into the lineup. Um, and Eric Dames used to play in the outfield, even though he can't do it at all. And you know, again, <laughs> getting big bats into the lineup. They don't do that anymore. Um, they they have little guys playing in positions where big guys should play more often than not now. Um, a lot of their draft picks tend to be up the middle guys, um, and that has a cost over time. And that cost is, is robbing you of guys who might develop into really elite power hitters. So um, I guess maybe it's cost them a little bit, but the other here's the other thing. 
I think that the bouncy ball hurts them. The lack of the bouncy ball hurts them more than it hurts other teams. Um, because if you're playing more fringy offensive guys um, all the time and they can't hit the ball out at all, like that's basically taking them away. It's like robbing them of all offensive value for the most part. Uh, the, by the way, just recap on the ball. We have much more research now. Um, the ball is coming off the bat faster but dying much sooner. Laces are higher and pitchers are getting more spin on it noticeably. So what baseball, as we hypothesized earlier, has increased strikeouts while um, tamping down on hitting, which is exactly the opposite of what you wanted to do. Mm. The Brewers have lots of, (laughs) yeah, which is what they do. And the Brewers have lots of fringy offensive profile guys. Like just take a guy like Urias who needs to, uh, is like a, a good hit tool guy needs to put the ball in play, you know, somewhat hard gap to gap um, to, to be a good offensive player without the bouncy ball. And with people missing more bats, um, he can't afford to have more strikeouts in his profile and he can't afford to have um, balls like not leaving, or not, not leaving the infield at, with as much velocity, um, you know, dying up in the air. That's, that's murder on anybody and all the guys who, you know, have like 25 home run power and are already prone to strikeouts are now guys who strike out an insane amount of time and who lose five home runs a year to just dying at the warning track because the ball is stupid. You know, if you're hitting 45 bombs a year and you lose five, you're still pretty good. If you're hitting 25 bombs a year and you lose five and striking out 15% more, you're you're unplayable all of a sudden. So mm-hmm. um, when you're at the fringe offense level, that's not as good. And I think that that's really hampered them. I think they're built for that short porch and left and to have the bouncy ball and take away the bouncy ball, and things look ugly really quick. Yep, I think that that's a, a good point all around. And I want to highlight what you said about this being a failed attempt at a money ball team because I want to push back because I saw some of this going on after Friday night's unpleasantness. I saw some of this on Saturday <laughs> before the game started, and I saw a lot of talk that the Brewers were a failure, that they had failed, that this was a team that was going nowhere, that it was done, that it was over with, and it it rankled me, and I'm glad that we're on a two-game winning streak now because now I can really <laughs> let loose on this. Because, guys, it's it's a 162-game season. It's a long year. And there's going to be lots of ups and downs. And we've seen, at this point, less than a third of it. So just take a big, deep breath <laughs> and acknowledge that we're going to be around here for a while, and it's going to take a lot of time to sort this out and we're going to be talking about things that happen a month from now, three months from now, uh, as if they're the most important thing in the world and they haven't even happened yet. So just take a deep breath, give it some time and understand that they've put together a team here that is very capable of competing in a weak division. And we've right. seen no real good indication so far that this is going to be anything but a weak division. The Cubs and Cardinals have been fine, but they're not out there running away with anything. They're not. N- nobody has a juggernaut uh, roster here. You know, the, the Dodgers and Padres are not showing up in the division. <laughs> so deep breaths and just understand that this is going to be a long year. I mean, yeah, and we all kind of expected the Brewers to be like, what, 85 to maybe 90 wins. And when you're 
that kind of team, you're going to hover around 500 for much of the year, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. uh, this is exactly what this kind of team looks like. Um, and, and you're right. We're probably not going to remember a lot of what we talked about in April and May when we get into July, August, and September. So, yeah, it I, slow down. We'll be okay. Yeah, He'll be wanna, fine, just like everybody else is fine. Like if you want to be optimistic, um, this is a stars and scrubs team, and um, one of the big worries I think we all had was: is Yelich going to come back and look hurt, or you know, take a while to get his stroke back? He looks good. He, he he's swung the bat really, really well since a uh, very small sample size, but he looks like Yelich, so that's good. Um, and Colton Wong's been on a hot streak too. He was certainly today, but he is now over 100 for an OPS plus. He's still playing stellar defense. He hit the one war level, um, yesterday for the season, which, you know, we're a third of the way through the season. That's good to see. So, um, they're starting to actually get some of their stars all back into the lineup together. And that'll go a long way towards creating a few winning streaks. And there's a big potential thing happening down in Nashville right now. I know people don't necessarily want to hear it because, uh, I don't know, again, I, I heard talk this week that Keston Hero was apparently a bust already. So he has now hit home runs, hit three of them over the weekend, and has like another six doubles so far in these games down there. He is still striking out a pretty decent amount, though the last few days he hasn't been striking out because he's just been hitting the hell out of the ball when he's been hitting it. So mm-hmm. still looking at uh, uh, some swing and miss issues, but really what we're what we're seeing from him now is he is crushing baseballs in the zone. Now, is he going to crush major league pitching uh, in the zone? Yeah, that's the, that's yeah. the thing. <laughs> we, we don't know. We, we don't know. But here's the thing and why I have some optimism about this. We have seen him crush baseballs in the zone from major leaguers before. The aberration is not what we saw in 2019. Probably the aberration is what we saw to begin this year. Because even last year when he was not very good, he was still crushing baseballs. He, like when when guys were in the zone on him, he was crushing them at least some of the time. Because what did he end up with? 13 home runs and 58 games. He loved the team. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he was still crushing some baseballs. The only time we haven't seen Keston Hero crush baseballs, basically since he came into pro ball, was the first few weeks of the season before they sent him down. So that seems much more likely to be the aberration. We still have to see it at the major league level, but I think you you can have some hopes here, and that might then put the priority because Paul was saying earlier, first base, third base, it might put the priority more towards third base then unless of course, Travis Shaw gets going. Yep. So can I ask you guys a spontaneous um, opinion question about how this is going to go? Sure. Who's going to lead the team in home runs when the season's over? Ooh, because right now the leader of home, right now, the, the leader in the clubhouse is Avi Garcia. He's got seven. <laughs> Do you know who's in second place? Oh, shoot. Travis Shaw. It's Travis Shaw Shaw. is tied in second place with Luis Urias mm-hmm. at five, with yeah. five each. So, <laughs> yeah. So who's going to lead the team in home runs when this is all over? Is y'all just going to go on a tear and catch everybody? Probably. It's like, it, like it's mm. Garcia's in first, and then it's like I feel a like Garcia of, might edge him out. It's a but, parade yeah. of suck after that. So it's Shaw and Urias at five. <laughs> Jackie Bradley's next at four, right. and then it's Lorenzo Cain and Billy McKinney uh, and Omar Narvaez. Omar, yeah. <laughs> so I don't um, know. it's a. Uh, it, I think that's a tough question. 
How about it's Yelich? I bet he goes from one to winning the thing. Yeah. I still think he's going to hit somewhere close to 30. Yeah, he'll end up with mid-20s at, at least, right? Yeah, I don't as know. long as he's healthy, yeah. Avi, yeah, I don't know if Avi uh, keeps that pace up. but Yeah. Yeah. There's not Maybe it'll be... Uh, though, so yeah. should be a uh, should be a good race, and we, we should pay attention to the Avi versus Yelich race. <laughs> Maybe it'll be Zach Green, savior <laughs> in uh, Nashville to save third base. Mm-hmm. A little Casey McGee action. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Uh, our next Patreon question comes from Ted Johnson. Uh, he says, do you think Rob <laughs> Manfred is evil enough to manipulate the baseball to decrease popularity in order to gain leverage? Paul, as our labor expert and major league fan, uh, is is he trying to suck? So uh, he has more leverage. No. Um, first of all, because <laughs> that's not how this would work. That the players all being worse on offense doesn't actually help the owners very much, uh, and it costs them money because it makes the game more boring to watch. Costs them (laughs) ratings. And aside from that, we should always remember Hanlon's razor, which is, of course, do not blame on on evil what you can blame on stupidity. Um, And we've got a long track what record of Manfred he's. He may be evil, but he's very stupid, and that's the problem. (laughs) So I do have to admit, I agree with what everything Paul says. But honestly, this week before this question came in, long before this question ever came in, my mind was trying to turn this over somehow and try to figure out how this could possibly be true. Well, what's the play like to make it's the tough. ball part of collective bargaining or to break the umpires union? I, like, I, what's could, the, what's the... I, could, I couldn't figure that out, Paul, but I was trying. I was the trying conspiracy to go. Conspiracy corner has no rationale. It's right. just the conspiracy corner. I yeah. was trying to figure out how it would benefit because we know that the they did manipulate the ball into this weird situation where we're not getting home runs. And since nobody's hitting home runs, we're really not getting much offense because home runs were the only thing that were propping up offense, basically. Yes. So we know that that's true. And we know that they did this with at least some intention, right? That there was some intention behind this. Oh, yeah. They were definitely trying to create a situation where there were fewer home runs, but more balls were put into play. Um, like old timey baseball, and they failed at that miserably because they're idiots. Um, but like <laughs> on all their press releases about the ball, they like ignored drag um, and just concentrated on the core. And so I, I, maybe they even had some idea and had to bury it at the last minute because you probably like you go, you make the balls, and then you test it. I don't. Who knows? It's very stupid. It's hard to you. You can't put rational thought to this. It's it's stupid to even try. I feel bad about the last thirty seconds of the podcast. It was <laughs> So this is what I came up with, though, was are they trying to divide the union in every way they possibly can, including, say, separating the pitchers from the hitters to get the pitchers (laughs) saying one thing, the hitters on the other side and to get them at loggerheads with each other. I mean, we know. Hold on. We do know that they they love doing this. This is a Manfred thing. Loves trying to divide the players in the last CBA negotiation. They definitely did it with the talk of an international draft and getting the international players, the the players from uh, from the Latin America were so against it that they like pushed on the union really hard to keep it from happening, to keep an international draft from happening. We know that. And I think that there is always this thing to try to 
figure out whatever you can. There are two things Manfred likes to do in negotiation. One, he likes to create issues out of nothing. He's the guy who came up with contraction back in 2001 or 2000, whenever that was, to contract the twins in the Expos, which then created an issue out of nothing that the union was basically then obliged to bargain on. And the other thing that that Manfred likes to do is to divide, is to create breaks in the thing. I don't know if this does that, but that that was all I got. Uh, I mean, okay, the, the balls never, the composition of the balls never been. A, how would it even go? Like, are they going to negotiate seam height? Uh, I I want to be in the room if that happens. <laughs> I don't, um, I don't yeah. know. I just I'm just coming up with like, are they trying to divide people? Do the pitchers actually like this? Because yeah, their their numbers are all looking really good. But I think at this point, everybody's like, well, okay, but the ball is stupid. So none of this is actually that impressive. There's been 50 no hitters this year. Nobody, like, all they've done is ruin no hitters for the rest of the <laughs> life of baseball. Like, w- everybody's aware, like, that, that the pitching is all fake. So it doesn't help the pitchers. It actually kind of hurts them. Well, I think the comparison would be to what came before this, which was the rabbit ball. Yeah. And guys. I'm sure pitchers hated the idea of making a good pitch, having a guy take a half swing on it and having it just go sailing out of the yard, you know, in the opposite field. I'm sure pitchers hated that. I'm sure they, I'm sure they prefer this much more to that. I suppose, but they're also striking out like still a ton of people under the rabbit ball. So it was, I, I feel like it, not that the union, they have their own problems. They're also not always the, the brightest, but this seems like an easy sell on, on unity if the ball becomes an issue labor wise. So uh, I don't know. I don't see it. It was just what it was. The only thing I could come up with. Yep. (laughs) I cannot wait for the strike next year. And our entire (laughs) podcast is this discussion. That'll be great. Today in ball negotiations. Today in ball negotiations. They they talked for 10 hours about whether they want dimples on it or not. I don't know. (laughs) hate the dimples on the balls in exchange for no dimples on the balls there's going to be uh arbitration for another four years (laughs) yeah yeah this will be a great podcast then all right i guess uh speaking of breaking unions and you mentioned breaking the umpires (laughs) union uh our last patreon question comes from philip schumacher uh, he says, to give you a break from discussing the Brewers' offense, after robo-umps start in MLB, how long before the Astros try to hack them? I love this idea. Who, so, who tries to hack the computer system first? Yeah, I mean, first, the, the Astros' cheating was pretty rudimentary, and most of the really sophisticated people there are not in the front office anymore. When you're looking at ha- people hacking people, you got to go to the Cardinals. Um, they're mm-hmm. the ones who have experience uh, hacking the Astros. Actually, they have experience. They've already done this. Um, we know that when the Cardinals do something dirty once, they tend to do it a second time because they're assholes. Um, so <laughs> they're the most likely people to actually hack into the system here, not not the Astros. Um, and then after that, you'd go to the most sabermetrically advanced teams that exist. Um, after that, to to get into it. After that, so. Um, I, I'm take your pick there. It's hard to tell who's actually the best these days, but um, also like the Yankees have all this money, they could just own the system, um, just buy a bunch of stock in whatever system. Right. But basically, you know, like yeah, the, the, that's the second. They're like the super G- villains, so the Yankees would be second most. That's your answer. Cardinals first, Yankees second. That's how they get all those World Series. Well, so it's Hawkeye, right? Is the system that's being used or will be used to do the robo umping? Yeah, and that's owned by people out of Chicago who were, went to yeah. Iowa. Mm. Yep, 
So Cubs fans. Cubs. Yeah. Cubs. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be the Cubs. It's always the Cubs. It's always the Cubs. Oh man. Yeah. I. They are evil. We'll That's yeah. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. But stupid. So. <laughs> They'd probably screw it up. They'd probably try to hack it and then do it in a very obvious way. Mm-hmm. And then the Cardinals would take that and then uh, figure out and perfect it and then actually be successful. That's what's going to happen. Um, yeah. The Cubs will be attempting to do this and they will just leave a password out in St. Louis in the stadium somewhere. <laughs> and the Cardinals will pick it up and be like, oh, look, a password. Now let's go do evil. Right. Yeah. Like the, the password for the time. yeah, the password for the robo umps is gonna be like Wrigley One or something like that. <laughs> and there you go. Uh yeah. Okay. Uh we also have some Twitter questions to get to. Uh reminder, we also put out a call for questions on Twitter. That's at MKE Tailgate. Follow that account. You can also follow all of us. I am at James L. Paul's at Badger Noonan. Ryan is at RD Top. We have a question from Matt Ballman who's asking, do we know how much the new TV deal is worth annually? I'm not sure I saw this number, but Ryan, do you know? So best I remember seeing was that the Brewers and Marlins both uh, had it come out at the same time and both were deals with Bally. And Mm -hmm. it looks like it was for 90 million total. But I was Googling here while you guys were talking and... It looks like the Brewers also was reported on May 7th that the Brewers have a minority ownership stake now in Bally Sports Wisconsin. Hmm. How big that share is, I don't know, but that could be part of what they're getting back on the back end here is by getting partial ownership of the station. uh, That would allow them to basically (laughs) whatever that income is doesn't get counted as baseball income anymore. So it's allowing them to get kind of what the big market teams do with their RSNs, which is they, you know, like the Yankees don't count their TV money because it's a separate entity from the New York Yankees baseball club. The New York Yankees TV empire is a different thing. The yes network. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I think that's kind of the direction that this is headed, but it, my understanding is that the money that they got is at least double. My understanding was they used to be at about $20 million a year. And it at least doubled. So, And that was done right before the season started. That was in spring training, right? Spring training camp had already opened. Mm-hmm. It was right. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of as the season was opening. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. It was announced in February. Right. Okay. Uh, next Twitter question comes from Sean. He's saying lots of skepticism going into the season that Josh Hader was declining. I know we talked about that plenty here. Uh, he says through two months, he's having his best season ever. So that begs the question, are they trading Josh Hader at the deadline for hitting help? Paul, I know you, you've kind of been on the maybe trade Hader train. Uh, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts now after the start he's had and seeing the offense? So they want to trade him if they're winning. And I, I think they'll probably be close enough at the trade deadline that they won't do that. Um, uh, the thing with Hader is that there's never really a, a bad time to sell on him because at some point he will destroy his arm um, and it, or and or get too expensive for them, which is getting closer every day. So if they're in contention, they'll keep Hader. Um, I don't think they'll they'll make like a deadline deal to help the offense at his expense. Maybe weirder things have happened, but I doubt it. 
Um, but he's he's such a huge weapon for them, especially in the playoffs, to just come and shut the door on people. And I think if he, if in contention, he'll be with the team. If not in contention, if they go on the tank, if they lose 15 games in a row, I do think that they'll look to make major moves, and I think he's probably gone. So that. Yeah. Ryan, your, your thoughts on Josh Hader so far? Yeah, he's really good. He's good. He's, <laughs> he's, I'm, I was just looking at his baseball savant numbers, and he's really, okay, really yeah, damn good. Yeah. Like, we're looking at an expected ERA this year of, I think that's 1.7. I'm getting old, guys. My eyes aren't Put what they used to be. On, Ryan. I don't have glasses, damn you. I don't have glasses. Uh, so uh, it, my wife is starting to bug me about that. My dad was giving me crap because uh, I was doing the reaching away from my body thing, and he's like, Oh, looks like somebody's getting to the age where they need some glasses. I'm like, no, 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 no. He's like, at 40, that's when my eyes went. So, yeah, all right. Yeah, so like 1.7 expected ERA. Uh, that is his lowest ever. Yep. Uh, he's, yeah. So K percent back up to striking out almost 47% of batters this year. Uh, that's close to his, his 2019 high of just under 48%. So he, he's elite at hard hit percent. Basically, everything's elite. Yeah. <laughs> Every, everything <laughs> here is elite. Yeah, I, I guess maybe uh, the lack of the bouncy rabbit ball has really helped Josh Hader get back to mm-hmm. the, the, the um, way he gives up runs is that way. So, yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, and right. though Devin Williams has still managed to give up some runs despite not having the, the bouncy rabbit ball. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, you take some, you lose some. Yeah. Uh, Sean also had a second question here, kind of related to the Josh Hader question. But uh, do you predict the Brewers to be buyers or sellers? Early prediction. I know Paul kind of gave his half answer. Ryan, what are your thoughts? Buyers or sellers? Buyers. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe a slight sell, like doing a little selling and a little buying. But they definitely mm-hmm. will be more on the buyer side than on the sell side. Yeah, it's going to be hard for them to be out of contention. I, I don't That's think they the will go yeah. in a prolonged tank that does that. And the division's just not good enough to run away with it. So I, th- I think they'll be hanging around enough that they'll be aggressive and still buy. It's in their nature to buy. They'll only sell if it's very hopeless. Right, and even if the division's not in reach, which it will be, I mean, wildcard two, I doubt is going to be much... Uh, y- you know, you see the NLC. East, they're beating up on each other all year long. You know, we we saw Phillies, Braves, everybody's kind of underperforming there because they're just kind of beating up on each other. So those records aren't going to be great either. So, I mean, there's going to be room to run behind whoever finishes in second in the West. So, I I mean, yeah, it's hard to see the Brewers kind of sell anything. But, you know, maybe it's like trade JBJ for a pitcher or some help somewhere or you know yeah it'll be some of that counter building stuff yep. that we've kind of seen before all right uh so that'll do it for questions this week a reminder you do get question priority when you are a patron we do have a new patron to shout out this week uh ryan you want to do the honors here well we already talked about him so uh i guess we're now violating the rule for the second time but uh, <laughs> Ultimate Vehicle Fight Club, welcome to the fold here, and thank you for your support of the podcast. We appreciate it. Right. Well, he he, he asked a question, so he fulfilled the second rule, too. If it's your first night, you ask a question, right? Yeah. There you mm-hmm. go. 
<laughs> All right. So thank you to Ultimate Vehicle Fight Club for signing up to become a patron. A reminder. The club. Club. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, two bucks a month gets you the question priority. Five bucks gets you that question priority, plus all the other extra podcasts on the network as well. Uh, it's patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. If you want to sign up in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, whether that's Apple podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, overcast, pocket cast, anywhere else you listen to the podcast, hit, hit subscribe. And while you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find us as well. Uh, that'll wrap things up for this week. We'll be back next week. Uh, hopefully, well, maybe not, hopefully, but we'll see if the Brewers make another trade. Maybe uh, shortstop is fixed and everybody's happy and the Brewers go on a winning streak. Uh, always can uh, cross the fingers there. In the meantime, hope everyone stays well. We'll see you next week here on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Yeah.